the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life has come to its winter for Sarai. Not its fall, its winter. And she feels old at last. The princess has become an angry old maid. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled The Princess Mother. That's The Princess Mother, and don't forget you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. We'll bring you the first portion of this broadcast today, and we'll complete it the next time we get together. Again, The Princess Mother. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Let's pray. Dear Father, we owe so much to godly mothers in Israel. And so we're taking the time at this time of the year to really focus in on what it means to be a mother of faith. And we have Sarah as the example in the Bible of this. Guide our minds in the Word of God today to know Jesus, to live for Jesus, to be bold for Him, and to follow His ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He left the city of Ur with her. He left with her and all her problems. Her name that she received in Ur of the Chaldees was Sarai, and Sarai means in Hebrew, my princess. His wife's name was a clear description of her relationship to him. It kind of defines the storyline in the book of Genesis. She was his, and really property in a time when women belonged to their fathers and then to their husbands as an extension of their assets. She was his. With the dowry paid in full, she belonged to him. Like a commodity that transferred hands, she was considered a good investment with the hope of a rich dividend for the future. And what was that? You know, these people wanted children. Children was your way to grasp eternal life. And children could pass on your name and your legacy. And so he was hopeful. She was an asset to be exchanged for goods with the hope of a greater good. He married her in hope that she would bring him many sons But many sons did not come from her as he had hoped. He married her in hope that he would live on to see the fruit of his life. But there was no fruit. He had hoped that she would be the fruitful tree with much fruit. But alas, her tree budded and she bore no fruit for him. And so the pain of a bad investment settled on the great merchant of the East. Her name was Sarai, which means my princess, and she is introduced in Scripture as the barren one. Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis eleven twenty-eight. An amazing passage introduces the whole story of Abram and Sarai. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth. Verse 28, in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah, Now, Sarai was barren, and notice that she had no child. 
She is introduced in Scripture for the very first time as the barren one that had no child. She is the first woman in the Bible to be described in the Hebrew word achara, barren. It sounds like Ichabod or something like that. Achara, barren. And to make matters worse, God promised Abram that he would be the father of a great nation. And yet the story starts with the barren one. The promise implied that someone would help him to have children. And yet right there in the story, she's not able. In Genesis 12.1, the Bible says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I mean, this is the promise in principle of creation that was given to Adam. It's the promise of the creation covenant, of being fruitful. And so here is a man with a barren wife, and how can this be? When Abram left Haran, the Bible says in Genesis 12, 4, that Abram was 75 years old. Imagine starting your life work at the age of 75. Sarai was 10 years younger than Abram. He was 75, and that meant that she was 65 years of age. God came to Abram when his wife was at the retirement age, and he was beyond the retirement age. They were old And it looked like they should slow down and enjoy their golden years a little bit. It was time to draw that social security check and enjoy the benefits of that established IRA in Ur of the Chaldees. It was time to enjoy grandchildren, if not yours, at least your relatives' grandchildren, and enjoy the fruit of your labors and your golden years while you could still enjoy it. Only one problem for Abram and Sarai. There was not any fruit on their tree. They had no children. They had assets. They had abilities, but they had nothing in terms of children. The tree was fair and tall because she was beautiful. The trunk was slender, but the time for fruit was gone, and the princess proved that she was not a mother at the time of retirement. To make matters worse, now the story has context. Sarai was a pure knockout at the age of 65, Avon and Revlon would have paid big bucks to hire Sarai for their promotions. This is an amazing historical fact. No sooner did they arrive in the promised land than the promised land looked very unpromising to Abram. It looked just like Sarai, barren and unable to bear fruit. Famine was there. Look at Genesis 12.10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a woman beautiful to behold. Now, husbands, pause. We have the living word of God speaking to us right here. How many of you are a husband or a prospective husband? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're a husband or prospective husband, what did Abram say to his wife here? I know that you are a woman, what? Beautiful to behold. Now, gentlemen, I happen to know from experience that my wife likes to know every now and then from my own lips that I think that she is beautiful. So you know how she learns that fact? Because I say, you are beautiful. You are pretty. You are beautiful. And I have found that she wouldn't mind if I said that 56 times a day. Not the, well, you know, I've said it once. I established the fact four years ago. Why does she need to hear it all again? No, our wives don't think that way. They need to know on a regular kind of basis that we think they are beautiful. And you can do it all kinds of creative ways. You can bring flowers. You can say, I wrote a poem once for my wife. I can remember it here. 
Flower is a thing to pick, a thing to touch and smell. A rose, though with its thorns might prick, is full of love as well. Oh, on this world I long might look to catch a glimpse of power, yet in this rose from mountain brook that which I seek a flower. I mean, they get moved by stuff like that, especially if you come up with it yourself. So go ahead and tell your wife she's beautiful. Tell your mom she's beautiful too. Now verse 12, And when the Egyptians see you, Abram's speaking, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Uh, now it gets kind of bad. He kind of shifts out of the ideal road into the self-protective mode. Verse 13, say you are my sister. Now he puts his wife up to lie. That it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared on your account. Abram expresses three attitudes in his dialogue with his wife Sarai that directly assault her sense of self-worth. Number one. He expressed the attitude of fear for his own personal future. That's what comes out of him. Instead of being the strong protector for his wife, he called on his wife to protect him. Instead of casting a positive perspective for their future, he assumed the worst would happen. He placed the burden of security on her instead of him. Now, I know men who believe that the security of their future is based on how hard their wife can work. Based on the Bible, it should be based on how hard a man can work and how well he can protect. While she is a helper, he is the basis of that security. And so he placed the burden of security on Sarai, and he called on her to take the lead when he should have. Secondly, he expressed the selfish attitude of his self-interest over her personal welfare. Succinctly stated, he was a little selfish when put to the task of putting his wife first. Abraham was more concerned with his life than his wife and saving his hide than the dignity of his wife's being in her life. He was more concerned with his fortune than the fortunate privilege of having her. And so he had it all backwards. He was more concerned with saving his neck than holding it high and taking the risk that would have preserved his wife's dignity. Number three, thirdly, he expressed the motive of insecurity that led to outright dishonesty. Abram knew that his wife was beautiful, but he was insecure with her beauty as she moved among others in the social sphere. I've seen husbands who have a beautiful wife and they're jealous. Now, I have a beautiful wife. I should have heard a hundred amens out there. I'm just kidding. I do. I have a beautiful wife. I am secure with my beautiful wife. She has friends. She's a social creature. I'm the introvert in the family. And bless her heart, she meets people's needs that I never can. And I am secure with that. Abram was not secure with his beautiful wife. Suspicious. And so he's always trying to police it. But he put her up to protect her own relationships in ways she shouldn't. Abram loved his wife, but in Genesis 12, he loved himself a little more. In the story, Abram is hung by his tongue. He speaks his own future into existence. Genesis 12, verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was, what does the text say? You're looking at the Bible with me. Very beautiful. Not just pretty, very beautiful. Now, according to Jewish tradition, now the rabbis study the Bibles in ways that we just don't. These Ashkenazis and others would count every single word, every single vowel symbol, and they would come up with things that I never dreamed of, and some of them are profound. I want to share with you what they said about Sarai. Baba Batra 58a in the Hebrew Talmud, it says this, every woman compared to Sarai is like a monkey compared to a human being. Now that's the rabbis. She was called by the rabbis the crown of her husband. 
the crown of beauty for the world. At the age of 65, she was the Revlon girl that looked like a princess because she was Abram's princess. And somehow God had designed that this beautiful woman that should have had a child could not have a child until the power of God made it so. In verse 15, the lecherous young princes of Egypt praised her to Pharaoh immediately. In the same verse, they took her to Pharaoh. The soap opera now is in full motion in the storyline. Pharaoh Heap sheep, oxen, donkeys, she-donkeys, male donkeys, men servants, maid servants, anything he could on Abram to get her into his harem. The crown jewel of Abram's life was Sarai, and she was taken in exchange for livestock. That's an amazing thing. The broken-hearted beauty was bartered off by the weakness of Abram, who took the cows and the camels, the men servants, the maid servants, without complaint as she slipped into Pharaoh's hands. Abram left Ur with her, and he left her to them. And that's what happens in just a few verses. In Genesis 12, 17, God stands up for Sarai when Abram doesn't have the guts to defend and protect his own wife. Now, women, there are times that you can be married to a heel. It's true. You can be married to a man who just doesn't look out for your interests. That's what's happening here with Sarai. Abram does not have it together. Genesis 12, 17, look what the Lord does. The Lord steps in to protect Sarai, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Notice what the text does not say. It does not say the Lord afflicted Pharaoh because of Abram. He could have, but he didn't. If Abram had stood up for his wife, if Abram had defended her dignity, if Abram had cherished her worth, then God would have stood up for Abram. Verse 17 is a very sad verse. God stood up for Sarai when her husband couldn't dig in to get the moral courage to take care of his wife as God had so designed it. Verse 17, it follows as prophetic. For 400 years later, God would afflict the nation of Egypt for what they did to Israel. We find in this verse that he afflicts the house of Pharaoh for what has happened to Sarai. And before anything nasty can happen, he stops it. He steps in to save Sarai. In the story, Pharaoh calls Abram and lectures him on the virtues of basic honesty because he's learned that she is the wife of a man. Imagine Sarai standing there as her husband receives a lecture from the king of Egypt who took her from him without a fight. Imagine Sarai's feelings as she is given back to the man who was afraid to defend her when put to the test. Imagine Sarai's self-esteem as she has surrendered to the man who's surrendered to his own fear. She has to go back to him. Imagine Sarai's sense of worth as she realizes that Abram has become rich at her personal and emotional expense. When Sarai leaves Egypt, something inside of Sarai leaves Abram. Something in her goes away from him. Sarai was not the liberated woman who leaves her husband because he has some fault of character. I mean, if you want a good reason for a divorce, she had one right there. She could have said, you know what, Abram, you and I have been in this thing for a long time. I now see you for who you are. Let me have my bags. I'm going back to Ur. You go to that promised land thing. You really are a bad dude, you know. She could have said something like that. She didn't. Sarai was the strong woman who loved her husband, encouraged him with love to grow in character and become a better man. In fact, Martin Luther once said that marriage is a school of character for husbands. Most husbands, and I can speak from my own experience, that we find ourselves on the self-centered side when we enter marriage. 
Through marriage, we learn to give. Through marriage, we learn to grow and sacrifice and put our wives first. In 1 Peter 3.1, this is what Peter said. Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that some, though they do not obey the word, may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. When they see your reverent and chaste behavior, let not yours be the outward adorning with the braiding of hair, the decorating of gold, and wearing of fine clothing. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable jewel of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So once the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves and were submissive to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are now her children if you do right and let nothing terrify you. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. The Apostle Peter is very clear in this passage. A gentle and submissive wife can win an unconverted husband to Jesus Christ. And when put to the test... Peter uses Sarah as the example of a virtuous woman who acted in the right way. I believe that Abram became a man of faith because his wife was a woman of faith first. When put to the test, Sarai is the person who passed with flying colors first, not Abram. Abram failed the first test. She did not. Peter describes her as a fearless woman who stuck it out with her husband in the face of Pharaoh's folly. He says, and you are now her children if you do what is right and let nothing terrify you. When Abram was afraid, she was not. She kept her composure. She got through that. She weathered the abuse. Women are hardwired to seek security. And sometimes that hardwiring can destabilize a marriage when a wife and a mother becomes unglued emotionally because the husband has let them down by not doing what he should do, by providing the right security for the family. Abram was married to a lioness who did not allow the insecurities of her husband or the fear of an uncertain future to drive her away from God and to surrender that faith in God that allowed them to get through that difficult time. When Genesis 12 ends, Sarai is sitting on a camel plodding back to a very unpromising promised land with the man she loves in spite of his very seriously flawed character. The man who wouldn't stand up and fight for his wife in time, in time, patient time, loving time, learns to fight for the things that matter in life because of his wife. When the kings of Babylon invaded Palestine and kidnapped Abram's nephew Lot, Abram marshaled an army of 318 men. Suddenly, he's acting different than he was in the past. He marshaled this little band of men. He defeated the army. He saved Lot's wife and life and everything else. And he proved that he was capable of courage. I believed he learned the meaning of strength and courage from Sarai, who manifested it first in the presence of Pharaoh. 
When God comes to Abram again, he's even older than before. When his old fear begins to set in again, God speaks words of courage to his friend. Turn in your Bible to Genesis 15.1. Here's where the storyline gets dynamic. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now fear was the nature of his life. He had just defeated his enemies. He was strategically at risk. And God said, don't be afraid. Verse 2, but Abram said, O Lord, what wilt thou give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And so he goes right to the thing that's been bugging him. I don't have children. You've made this promise. You've brought me out here, and I don't have any children. He's afraid of a future without a legacy. He's afraid of a place without little ones running around. He's afraid of someone who will take the place of the son he should have. Verse 3, and Abram said, Behold, Thou hast given me no offspring, and a slave born in my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now this is an amazing thing. The word of the Lord came to him. The Hebrew text indicates the word of the Lord came to him and said, this is the preexistent Christ as the living word of God that came and spoke to Abram. Just like John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word is speaking to him because the word is Christ in his preexistent form. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said. So the word of the Lord is a hymn. The word of the Lord is the preexistent Christ. He said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. I like Abram's response in verse 6. He didn't sit there and say, well, tell me the physics of how you're going to pull that off. What is the biology of how a miracle like this can happen? Explain to me how this can be. It just simply says he believed the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. Friend, this is the first time this happens in the Bible. When a man believes the Lord, it becomes prophetic of anyone else who believes the Lord ever after. You see, if we believe the Lord, it is reckoned to us. It is accounted to us legally, thought to us by the great judge of the universe, that we are righteous by virtue of our faith in God. Not our perfect faith, but our exercised faith. Mustard seed, though it be, it plants us in heaven's land. So up to this point, Abram is a man in motion trying to figure out God and kind of get through the whole thing. But when he believes in the face of the impossible challenge of faith, God declares in that seminal moment that Abram is a righteous man. He will become the father of all righteous people. You would think at this time that Abram is at last strong in faith. Yeah, here he is. He's arrived. God declares him to be righteous. You think that Sarah would be strong in faith too at this time. But the years have taken their toll on her. She's not the resilient beauty of the past anymore. Every Mother's Day, the woman named Princess, who's Sarai, is the woman who goes to her tent with no card, no flowers to put on the table. Because she has no children. Every Mother's Day, she was the woman who was congratulating everyone else. But no one can congratulate her for her child. And somehow she feels it all deep inside her broken and disappointed heart. It's my fault. I'm not a good wife. I let my husband down. I let God down. Why couldn't I pull this off? Why couldn't I be a fruitful wife? Pretty without children is ugly in the end. I feel ugly. When Abram runs to Sarai and tells her the good news, the good news of God's promise, she has a hard time accepting it with faith. 
She decides in the darkness of her fear and frustration and grief that it is time. It is time to help God get his act together to make the promise happen. Have you ever done that? You know, God has told me I'd be doing this for him. Now let me help God out. With weakened faith and with the use of her wits, her creativity, she fishes for an idea that came from the land of ancient Babylon. In the Code of Hammurabi, written between 1728 B.C. and 1686 B.C., this inscription, this legal inscription, was chiseled on a piece of black stone. It's called Commandment Number 144. If a man takes a priestess, and that priestess gives a female slave to her husband, and she have children, if that man set his face to take a concubine, they shall not favor that man. He may not take a concubine. Now look at the next one, commandment number 145. If a man takes a priestess, and she does not present him with children, that man may take a concubine. In other words, he can do it now and bring her into his house, that concubine shall not rank with his wife. In other words, if you can't have children, you have to have this surrogate mother. She will never take the place of his wife. And that was considered a good, just law. So there was a legal provision in the land of Babylon for a barren woman to have a child. The law provided a way for a son to continue the family name born to a slave. And somehow it would work out. Unfortunately, our time won't work out. We are completely out of time for the first portion of this message. Join us again next time when we conclude this broadcast. Have you ever wondered what happens five minutes after death? Do you long for the assurance of eternal life? Is there a longing in your heart for something beyond this life? Dark Tunnels and Bright Lights by Mark Finley is the message of hope that you need. This book presents the real truth about life after death, and it is more amazing than you can imagine. Call for your copy today. Here's the information you need. The telephone number is 855-888-4673. 855-888-4673. 855-888-HOPE. Or you can go to the website reachingyourheart.com. Call for your copy today. The book is yours for a donation of any size. And remember that your donations help to keep this ministry on the air. And we thank you for your support. Please join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart.